<laughs> sense of theme here. Hey, it's Gary and Shannon. Uh, thanks for downloading, listening to uh, the podcast of the Gary and Shannon Show. Now, if you want to listen to it live, you can do so every weekday from 10 a.m. until 2 p.m. in the greater Los Angeles area on KFI AM 640. Or you can go onto the iHeartRadio app and just type in KFI and listen live, listen to old shows, etc. Make sure that you subscribe not only to this podcast and share it with all your friends, but the pre-post podcast as well, which is bonus content that we can't do on the air for legal purposes. Do you feel that you're modeling appropriate and positive behavior for today's youth? I feel like we just figured out who or what killed Biggie and Tupac. Gary, Gary, Gary. Gary Hoffman. He's like a little man. Hi, guys. I'm Shannon. Shannon Farron. I like that she's a fighter and that she doesn't give up. Who are you? Gary and Shannon. You can talk. Uh, goo goo gaga. No, you can really talk. Now let's get this nightmare started. What are you writing down? Uh, I'm writing in the shallows. Why? I realize I have to put that in the uh, in the very special Christmas production that we're doing. <gasps> yes, we are. <laughs> you are creating a very special Christmas treat. It's it's a couple of weeks away. Yeah. Uh, but we are working on a uh, a Christmas classic uh, to be performed by the Gary and Shannon Radio Theater. Everyone uh, loves yeah. a little radio theater around the holidays. And that will be an absolute blast. But that won't be, that's, it's a couple weeks away. You got a lot of shopping to do between now and that day. So, um, so we'll tell you as we get a little bit closer and it kind of fleshes out a little Hate that term. Ivanka Trump did an interview with ABC News that's said to be broadcast today talking about the whole use of private email servers, uh, Hillary's and her own. Ivanka in this interview saying that the lock her up chant regularly aimed at Hillary uh, doesn't apply to her as well. <laughs> of course not. Um, she says that her situation cannot be compared to the flap over Clinton's server and there's no equivalency. And she's right, really. Well, the, so, I mean, what kind of what the kind content of, of the emails was completely different. Right. But it was still a stupid thing to. I have know been it's a rule violation, but what's in those emails as opposed to the Secretary of State's emails? Yeah, it's just no comparison. Well, and her explanation was there's a lot about scheduling and how do I do this, and if I've got the kids, I can't do that, and I mean, so yeah. But it's just this, it was a silly, stupid mistake on uh, on her part and uh, Jared's part. The story, the story we want to tell you is a story that you probably have heard a little bit about, bits and pieces along the way over the past 10 years. The story of Jeffrey Epstein, who was a Bears and Stern guy and so successful in the financing world that he had uh, all the big money people going to him to control their money. Uh, where to put it, he'd call Jeffrey. He was the guy. And he's got a trial that's starting up coming up next week and it's all about his victims suing the federal government saying hey you never you never let us know what was going to go down with his punishment you never let us know about the plea deal and i say victims because 
he's got a wake of victims, young girls that he, for years, was sexually assaulting. So uh, the the timeline of this goes back to 2001, and that's the first time the prosecutors say they can prove that Jeffrey Epstein was luring these underage girls to his mansion in Palm Beach, and he would then pay them to strip down and give him a massage or any other number of things that very you know that that pass that point from that to just straight up sexual intercourse for money the girls say there were hundreds of victims that he, this was a guy who routinely needed fresh faces in his mansions young girls from disadvantaged troubled families that were recruited. He would reward the girls for bringing in their friends. That that was a key where he would pay a girl a couple hundred bucks for a for a nude massage or whatever his uh, taste of the day was, and then also offer her money to come back. And there's an extra couple hundred bucks in it for you if you bring a pretty friend with you. By 2007, the FBI had prepared a 53-page federal indictment charging him with sex crimes that would have put him in federal prison for life. Hell, they would have put any of us in federal prison for life, but none of us are big money people like Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah, big money people with the political connections to make sure that he never suffered while in, finger quotes, in jail. Yes, the justice system does work differently for people, doesn't it? Depending on who you are and how much money you have. The U.S. attorney there in Miami at the time was Alexander Acosta. I believe he heads up the president's labor department now. He's the secretary of labor, yeah. But uh, back then he was a U.S. attorney and he signed off on a non-prosecution agreement. It was negotiated, it was signed and sealed so that no one would ever know the full scope of what the FBI had found out this guy was into. It was shelved. It was never seen again. He pleaded guilty to lesser charges in state court, was required to register as a sex offender, and he was sentenced to 18 months incarceration. Did he do 18 months inside? No. No, of course not. He didn't go to state prison like many sex offenders do in Florida. In fact, Florida has some of the toughest rules for sex offenders. Instead, he was sent to a private wing of the Palm Beach County Stockade where he had his own security detail. Now, that, that's an interesting thing. I don't think I've ever heard of a private wing of any sort of county facility like that. But he's able to hire his own private security detail. And because of that, as part of this plea agreement, he doesn't spend very much time in his cell. You know why? Because he's allowed to go to his West Palm Beach office for work release up to 12 hours a day, six days a week under the watchful eye of his paid security team. He was also allowed to hire his own private psychologist for his required sex offender counseling. I mean, this stuff, I've never heard any of this stuff being a possibility. I mean, what kind of dirt did he have on the U.S. attorney at the time or his buddies? You know, he... There were a lot of people at these parties with underage girls, by the way. There was, they, these girls were passed around to a lot of big-name people. So there were a number of, of, um, of lives and, and careers on the line with this, with this Epstein case being kept under wraps. The interesting thing, you mentioned this, that Alexander Acosta, who was then the U.S. attorney, who currently is the Secretary of Labor— uh, members of Congress don't ignore these things when you go through a confirmation hearing in the Senate for your cabinet-level position. And they did ask him about this. 
They asked him about whether or not he knew that this Epstein guy was going to get such liberal treatment while he was in jail. And he said, God, I just I had no idea that this was going to be such a cushy, uh, cushy plan for this guy. But all the court records show that federal prosecutors under Alexander Acosta's authority gave in to a bunch of Epstein's demands, including that he not go to a federal prison and that he not go to a state prison because you know why? Life in the federal lockup or state lockup in Florida, that'd be tough. Federal prosecutors also agreed to keep his sentencing totally quiet. So there was barely any media coverage. Nobody knew when anything was happening. His his victims, his underage victims, weren't told about the plea deal like it is per usual. So they weren't in court to argue to the judge that, that they objected to this, this nice deal, um, maybe to sway the judge to give him a harsher sentence. And the judge, by the way, too. Uh, let's call that person into question as well. But listen to this. His crimes were reduced to felony prostitution charges. So, which, which wipes away any allegation that any of those girls were underage. Right, or that they were victims. Right. That they were prostitutes, in fact. So we have more on this story because there's, there is a, a developing court case that goes to court next week, right? There's a court, yes. that, the case that goes to court next week, which will give those women, now women, the opportunity to have a voice in this thing. But the names of the people involved in these cases, uh, well, some of them you already know, but some of them may surprise you. We'll get into more of it. Like royalty. Yeah. Gary and Shannon will continue in just a moment. This Wednesday, November 28th, we'll do What You're Watching Wednesday a little bit later in this hour. Also, next hour, do you remember that explosion in San Bruno, just uh, just west of San Francisco International Airport? This would have been about eight years ago now. But the PG&E gas line that exploded in that neighborhood, the judge that oversaw that case and all of the federal oversight that came as a result of that case, that judge in that case is now demanding answers from PG&E about what happened that started the campfire up in Northern California a couple of weeks ago. We'll talk about that. We are in the middle of the story about Jeffrey Epstein, a big money financier that handled the huge amounts of wealth for huge names in this country and abroad as well. And the young girls that he kept in his company started to talk about uh, 15, 16, 17 years ago. And where we left off, it looked like he was so politically and financially connected to everybody that he was given the sweetest deal ever. And the details of his case were kind of sealed up and put away forever. Uh, The victims in his case did not know about the plea deal he received. That was the cushiest plea deal in the history of sex offender plea deals. And so now they're suing the federal government to say, hey, you you screwed up here. And that trial is set to begin on Monday. The um, the interesting p- part about this case specifically, this new one, is that there will be, let's see, uh, the a 
question of whether or not they can overturn Jeffrey Epstein's plea agreement on the grounds that it was executed in violation of the Federal Crime Victims' Rights Act. Because, I mean, that that specific act, that law now gives crime victims a series of rights, including the ability and the right to talk with prosecutors and to be notified about these plea negotiations and sentencing, which is pretty crazy. One of the women, now women, then girl, that Jeffrey Epstein was assaulting for years is a woman by the name of Virginia Roberts who went to different media organizations after she heard about his cushy deal. Uh, She wanted to talk. She wanted to tell her story. She was very angry. And she shed a lot of insight into his lifestyle. She uh, had a rough past. At 11, she was sexually molested by a family friend. By the time she was 12, she was smoking pot, skipping classes. At 13, she's in and out of foster homes. And at 14, she's on the street. She becomes a sex slave of sorts for a 65-year-old sex trafficker at that time. And she's kept in his apartment, and he's pimping her out to pedophiles. Great little community, isn't it? That guy, by the way, was put in jail in 2000 on trafficking charges. Um, She was finally let out from under his power, I guess, after he went to jail, and she came out and was trying to put her life back together. At the age of 16, she's working at, uh, as a locker room attendant at Mar-a-Lago, of all places. Yeah. And she was approached by a woman. We'll tell you about that story in a second. But she was approached by a woman about becoming a private masseuse for Jeffrey Epstein. So the woman that she met, Ghislaine Maxwell, Ghislaine Maxwell was... Apparently a handler for Jeffrey Epstein, a friend, a daughter of a late British publishing magnate. And the weird part is there was a series of women, four other women that were that were named in the non-prosecution agreement that were also given immunity from federal prosecution. But they were supposedly going out and getting these young women and convincing them to work for Jeffrey Epstein in this weirdly sexual masseuse role in his home in his private home they began to groom her she says virginia roberts uh not just to perform massages but to sexually pleasure them and others she said it started with one and it trickled into two and so on and before you know it i'm being lent out to politicians and academics and royalty she would travel with this guy she would travel with jeffrey epstein and this Ghislaine maxwell to Jeffrey Epstein's other homes, New York, got a compound in New Mexico, an apartment in Paris. Now, it's all it's all there in the flight logs. Yeah. By the way. And he owns this is if you remember the Jeffrey Epstein sex island guy, he owns a small island in the U.S. Virgin Islands. She says his appetite was insatiable. He always wanted new girls, fresh young faces every single day. That was the sickness that he had. He had cameras throughout his homes. And said he liked her to tell him about the sexual proclivities of various men that he pimped her out to. Well, what's he into? Yeah, because even if – see, now this is where that twist comes in. If this guy had cameras throughout his mansion, throughout his place in West Palm Beach, where he's capturing images of – Various politicians, rich people, actors in some cases, 
powerful, powerful people. Royalty, like yeah. you said, Prince Andrew was a name that was associated with this guy. If he's catching these guys in the act with underage girls. That means he has dirt course, on, everybody. on everybody. That's why he only serves 13 months wow. on what would have been a 53-page indictment that would have put him in jail for the rest of his life. Probably for successive life terms. I mean, he would right. have been there for hundreds of years if he was prosecuted fully on all, each of those cases. There were probably phone calls made to that U.S. Attorney's Office from a lot of people. Remember, he uh, he and Bill Clinton, Bill Clinton's name is on those flight logs. Yeah. Too. Not just uh, Virginia Roberts. He, he, but here's the thing. He was with Donald Trump. At least he was associated with him. He was yep. friends with him. He knew him at Mar-a-Lago because yep. he was any big money guys know what Mar-a-Lago is. You have Kevin Spacey was on some of those flight logs. You have his association with Prince Andrew. You have the Bill Clinton. I mean, you have so many people that are associated with this guy. Those are just the names you would recognize. There's plenty of other huge money guys who had associations with Jeffrey Epstein who probably, if this is all true, I mean, if the uh, the cameras in the mansion thing are true, he's got dirt on every one of them. They used a modeling agency, too. As uh, as a honeypot or whatever you want to call it, I'll get you a modeling contract if you have sex with this guy. There's the, and the, the there was a woman in charge of this alleged modeling agency. Uh, you know that's that's almost the grossest part about it: the women that he was able to pay to lure young girls to come in and do whatever he wanted them to do. Incredible. I mean, really young, 13, 14, 15-year-old girls. There's more to this because this international angle to it brings with it a, a whole different degree of potential prosecution. We'll talk about that coming up. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640. Gary and Shannon. On this Wednesday, November 28th, we've been telling you about this updated case of Jeffrey Epstein, a guy who went in some pretty high pollutant circles, lots and lots of money. But there was one point back in 2007 where the FBI prepared a 53-page federal indictment that charged him with sex crimes. It would put him in federal prison for the rest of his life. The accused, uh, he was accused of sexually abusing dozens of underage girls. But for some reason... The U.S. attorney at the time in Miami signed off on a non-prosecution agreement, negotiated, signed, sealed. No one would ever know the full scope of Epstein's crimes. The indictment was shelved, never to be seen again. Many of the victims or all of the victims were never told that this guy was going to get off with an 18-month incarceration in a cushy Palm Beach County jail where he was able to hire his own security guards and then spend half of each day on work release in his offices down in the main Palm Beach. A couple of the girls are now women, and they are suing the federal government, alleging the prosecutors kept the victims in the dark as part of a conspiracy to give this guy, this powerful, politically connected multimillionaire, one of the most lenient deals for a serial ch- uh, child sex offender in history. They spent years getting this case ready. They have been quietly challenging the traditional legal norms that have failed to punish this guy and really other men in positions of power for sexual abuse. One, the, of, the, one of the victims that we told you about, this, this young girl, Virginia Roberts, who had a horrible childhood, 
was recruited by somebody to be Jeffrey Epstein's personal masseuse when she was about 16 years old. When she turned 19, when she turned 19, apparently she got too old for him. She offered to pay her to get her some training as a professional masseuse so she could move on with her life. You know, a little long in the tooth at the age of 19. And one of the things that he was going to do was send her to Thailand to get professional uh, massage training. That Okay, whatever. I guess that's fine. But what he wanted to do was, I'll send you to Thailand. I'll pay for all your training. But you pick up a girl from Thailand that I've arranged to bring back to the United States. Uh, it turns out she ends up, this uh, Virginia Roberts ends up meeting a guy in Thailand, an Australian fella. She moves to Australia, gets married, and has kids. But this has been bugging her because this investigation came through. The, uh, the FBI, at about that same time, started looking into Jeffrey Epstein, and they contacted Virginia while she's in Australia. No, she's freaking out, thinking it's one of Epstein's people. Which is a brilliant, I mean, because the FBI starts asking her very specific questions, I guess, about her the relationships these sexual things that she was doing with all these guys and she thinks to herself i am not comfortable doing this on the phone please don't bother me again and the countless times that epstein told her that he owned the palm beach police department like oh please i own the entire police department there's nowhere you can turn to she by the way is name dropping she says that she uh serviced uh, prince andrew he denies it of course al As well as Alan Dershowitz, who was on his uh, legal team. She says she had sex with him six times. He denies it. He says he did go to Epstein's mansion one time for a therapeutic massage. Now, when's the last time you went to one of your friend's houses for a therapeutic massage? My at. My bottom. Um, (laughs) So, listen, these victims have taken a page from Epstein himself over the years. They've hired private investigators. They've hired former police detectives to dig into Epstein's life, to fill in the blanks. Over the past decade, they've tracked down hundreds of people, dozens of other potential victims. They've interviewed Epstein's recruiters, his bookkeepers, his housekeepers, butlers, pilots, drivers. They've traveled around the country and the world taking statements, sworn depositions, trying to do what criminal prosecutors did not do. Is it possible that this is a wide-ranging conspiracy to derail Jeffrey Epstein's lifestyle? No. This was a wide-ranging conspiracy to cover up all the dirty-ass old men that are into little girls. That's, that's, the, that's like, the conspiracy. If, if you had two conspiracies that you were trying to, one, one had more validity than the other— you think, you know, you have a lot of money, you think you're all powerful, you think you're godlike, and you can have whatever you want, and women are just toys, and why not get a new one, a new shiny new one, every other day? That's exactly the mentality that goes, that goes on with some of these guys. Uh, where is Epstein? Well, after he did, what, 13 months in that cushy situation where he was allowed out every 12 hours a day, uh, he's got a new private jet, uh, takes him around the world. He spends most of his time on his private island, Little St. James, there in the U.S. Virgin Islands. He now lists that as his permanent residence. He's registered in New York and the Virgin Islands as a sex offender. New Mexico, where he has a sprawling ranch, uh, does not list him as a convicted sex offender. So he's got that going on for him, which is nice. And don't forget, there were all kinds of settlements that were paid out. 
all kinds of settlements. Virginia Roberts, this woman that we keep bringing up, she's now 35 years old. She says it's taken her a long time to stand up to Jeffrey Epstein. She and 20 other victims received settlements from Epstein ranging from $50,000 in some cases to more than a million. Does that mean that this happened necessarily? No. But who pays out people to the tune of a million dollars for something that never happened? Nobody. Don't forget, we mentioned at the very beginning, just the absolute uh, smelly nature of this agreement with federal prosecutors that would have, you know, had he been charged with everything that he was accused of, and had he been convicted on all those things, would have spent the rest of his life in jail and potentially received multiple life sentences for the number of crimes, the, the, the absolute uh, nature of the crimes. The judge at the sentencing hearing at the Palm Beach County Courthouse hardly knew anything about what this guy was accused of doing. The sentencing paperwork was very restricted to the specific charges that he was going to be Put away for the prostitution charges. That's right. One count of solicitation of prostitution and one count of procuring a person under the age of 18 for prostitution. And even though the judge did ask in that case, isn't there more than one victim? The state prosecutor said, yes, there are several. And the judge asked, so are all the victims in both of these cases in agreement with the terms of the plea? And the assistant state prosecutor said, Yes, that she specifically had spoken to several of the victims. The federal prosecutors did not want the judge to know how many victims and accomplices there were. And I bet that was a little bit of judge shopping as well. Clearly. You know, going to a judge who will look the other way, not ask questions, or just a, a or just as a dumbass. Or, or a dumbass. I think I've broken the record one. for ass but, on the show so far today. And I don't know if this is just me being um, gender, gender, gender peculiar. Easy. I don't know what the word is. That's like a whole group of people. The circuit court judge who handled this is a woman, and I would have imagined that that would have been a harder sell. You have a rich guy. Uh, I wouldn't imagine procuring a teenager for prostitution, and she's fine with signing off on the deal to give him eighteen months. What about all the women that Epstein used to lure the girls? That's I would be surprised about that too. Good point. Just because people are women, Gary, doesn't make them good people. That's our lesson for the day. Okay. Okay. Yes. What you watching Wednesday when we come back? <laughs> <laughs> How many coaches do you hear about that do appreciate? Yeah, that's a good point. Gary and Shannon, top of next hour. The um, the story about how we as a state, I mean, we should say not we, but how the state government gets ready and prepared for fire season. It's not good, guys. It's not good. It looks like while, while we do have some blame to give the utilities, the state gone and screwed this thing up years ago got to have term limits we got to get idiots out of there we got it we got to do something we got a hard reboot on some of heads these. on a stick huh Good lord hey it's time for what you're watching Winston. the following program is brought to you in living color what you watching in there americans love television they wean their kids on 
USA television much better. You've been watching too many of those live television shows. Well, the Below Deck crew is down two people Uh-oh. because Chandler got fired for being a terrible bosun. Yeah. And last night, Caroline got fired, the third stew, because she sucks. Was she the one who had a foot problem? Yeah, she had like a, a swollen toe, and so she couldn't do her work. And then, and then she had a sinus infection, so she had to go back to the doctor to get antibiotics. And then she came back and ate a bowl of ice cream instead of working. And, and Kate was like, what's your deal, Caroline? And uh, Caroline was pissed. And so she decides to give her two-day notice. And two days. Two day notice, apparently, and then goes and like sleeps the next day. And this is a day when they're turning over the yacht because there's a new group of people coming in and they're like professional yachties. So you need all hands on deck. They know what to expect. Yeah, you need to have like it done right. And Caroline's just going to sleep all day. So Kate, being the mature woman that she is, takes one of those portable speakers and, like, Guantanamo Bay style, blasts it at the the foot of Caroline's door until she got out of the boat. (laughs) But this this new group's coming on, and they want perfection, and this is a crew down two people. This is a weird look at... at Privilege. It's fun. That's that's why I watch it. Because how much money are they spending? Listen, I don't know how much uh, a week long charter on that yacht costs in Tahiti. Do- well, okay, if their tip is twenty thousand right. dollars, then how much is that? Is that like a sixty thousand dollar, seventy, eighty thousand dollar week? Yeah. And that's the part that's so fascinating to me. Like the people that have that kind of money, who are these people? Yeah. I mean, the the drama with the crew is just a nice little, you know. Salt and pepper on the dish, <laughs> but uh, that it's fascinating to see these people and 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 you know to our our point yesterday with Neil about picky eating and this being a relatively new thing and a luxury, all of their picky eating that they do on these yachts of I can't have gluten, but I can't have eggs, but I can't have egg yolks. I've got to have the egg whites, but only if they're brown eggs. Yeah, such a privilege. Meanwhile, the people who live in Tahiti are gladly eating whatever comes (laughs) their way. Um, Hallmark Channel says that they have 22 original movies for Christmas that they're airing this year. 22. Do we need 22 more plot twists for Christmas? I started watching one of these Hallmark Channel movies on Netflix over the weekend when I just wanted to shut my brain off and not think. And it was terrible. Hallmark it was Channel, absolutely terrible. Hallmark Channel, for example, starts playing their Christmas movies on October 26th. And they play them nonstop until January 1st. Uh, good news if you're a Game of Thrones fan. There is a reunion special, apparently, that did shoot in Belfast earlier this year. The cast of Game of Thrones, including actors who have left the show, like Sean Bean. Uh, the, ho- the host of the Game of Thrones reunion show was Conan O'Brien. Now, HBO had not set up to this point if that was actually going to take place. So if you're a Game of Thrones fan getting ready for, what will it be, season eight, I think it is, next year, then you can get ready for that. Oh, my gosh. You want to hear about how much talk show hosts are making on the television? I'll start with number five on the list. Steve Harvey. Yeah. How much do you think he makes? $40 million. $44 million. Ooh. Ryan Seacrest, how much do you think he makes? $60 million. $74 million. Oh. But he also, he does a lot. That guy works he all does. the time. He does. And you know what? He was the one that put together that Kardashian show. Yes. Like, he was the brain behind that whole reality uh, dumpster fire. <laughs> Dr. Phil, a very lucrative one at that. Uh, Six, 65, no, seven, seven, 80 million. 
Dr. Phil makes 77.5. And is he number three? Two. He's number three. Number two is Ellen. Uh, Ellen's probably, if, if Dr. Phil's at 77, Ellen's got to be 90. 87.5. Ooh, I was close. And now, I've heard, though, I've heard number one. Judge Judy. Yeah. $147 million. The quiet juggernaut that is Judge Judy. We've got to get handle on television. Did that you was ever... tried. Oh, it was. Yeah. Oh. Speaking of dumpster fire. Really? Yeah. Like, why? He talked, I think it was called Judge for Yourself, I think is what it was. Really? I got to find some footage. Um, then the last thing is we've talked about The Good Place before with Kristen Bell and Ted Danson. Yes. Very Love funny it. show. So clever. Very well written, clever, everything. One of the key uh, ongoing jokes is. The one character's love of all things Jacksonville Jaguars. Huge Blake Bortles fan. Blake Bortles is his hero, right? Well, at one point, they sort of go back in time and change history and then get in trouble for it. Do you know how much weird stuff has happened because of your little experiment? England left Europe. That Hugh Jackman musical about P.T. Barnum, it made like $400 million. Also, the Jacksonville Jaguars are good now. Impossible. I'm serious. They're going to make the playoffs. Blake Bortles is kind of okay. Maybe, I don't know. It's being debated amongst experts. It's confusing. But what okay. That was last year. That was last. Well, no, that was earlier this season that they did this. Oh, okay. I mean, they started 3-1. and one. They well, beat they the had Patriots. A, they had a great and, season last year. And then after that episode airs. Blake Bortles. They blew apart. Crapped all over the field. Blake Bortles has been benched for the rest of the yep. season. The offensive uh, coordinator fired, I believe. I think so, yeah. Uh, I just found footage from fun. Handel's Judge Show. Oh, you did? Yeah. We're going to uh, watch that during the break. Yeah, we are. All right. When we come back, the update on why this California agency took nine years to come up with a fire map for our state. Next on Gary and Shannon. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo today saying there is no intelligence connecting the order to murder at Washington Post writer Jamal Khashoggi to the Saudi crown prince. He says, I do believe I've read every piece of intelligence that came in and there is no direct reporting connecting the crown prince to the order to murder Jamal Khashoggi. Well, it's in his benefit to find no evidence linking the crown prince. Even though the CIA report suggested that the highest levels of Saudi royalty were involved in that. Hmm. Uh, at the uh, bottom of next hour, when we get into Swamp Watch, we'll talk more about that. Also, this effort today to get a vote uh, on the bill to protect Bob Mueller's investigation did not get unanimous consent, so will not move to the floor of the Senate. Talk about that. All right. Well, here we are. Uh, tomorrow will be three weeks since the start of two massive fires in California. The Woolsey Fire here in uh, L.A. and Ventura counties, and then the Camp Fire, the most devastating fire that we've ever seen in the state of California up in Butte County. It looks like PG&E's transmission line malfunctioned just minutes before the start of that Camp Fire. And that has been under the microscope for all of us since we first heard that that was the case. The California Public Utilities Commission is the state agency that is in, in charge of protecting us. 
in, in charge of protecting the environment, uh, assuring our access to safe and reliable utility infrastructure and services. And it looks like the California Public Utilities Commission is not doing any of that. Instead, they're just lying around naked in bed with utilities. What? I was painting a word picture. Oh, that was a horrible picture. Sorry. <laughs> uh, now, if you look at Bob Whalen, for example, a city council member from uh, Laguna Beach, he says that this fire mapping process that the CPUC Cal Fire should be uh, involved with is very slow moving. It's bureaucratic. He called it a Byzantine process dominated by the utility companies. And any sort of suggestions that they would make as these smaller municipalities trying to come up with a safety plan, a prevention plan. As the people who know the area the best. Exactly. Any suggestion they would make, he said, was typically voted down 31 to 1 because the rulemaking process, the CPUC, was completely dominated by these utility companies. The companies, the lobbyists that work for them have way too much sway over the California Public Utilities Commission. Listen, he, he says what would really make the fire mitigation analysis to a higher level is if you have an independent body of experts involved. How does that sound? Why, why can't we have a blue ribbon commission put together by the governor's office or by, by members of the legislature that brings in 10, 12, I'd even say 30 people, and you give them three months and you say, you come up with this mitigation plan. You come up with this fire map that will put up, uh, clearly indicate every single one of the high power transmission lines that would be vulnerable in the event of a high wind event like we've seen these. Li- Within the last year, there have been massive ones. Come up in three months, come up with a plan. We haven't, we have not, they were tasked with this idea of coming up with a plan in 2009. We haven't seen one. It's been nine years. Governor Brown appointed two of his top aides to serve on the commission following that big gas leak. And its leader resigned, too, because there were back-channel dealings that came to light related to that pipeline explosion. There was an audit done the same year that found lax control over spending, a failure to disclose public records, Board members travel at the expense of a nonprofit with close ties to the utilities. I mean, they're literally in bed. The commission that's there to figure out what the power companies need to do to keep us safe with with the increasing chances of, of these disastrous wildfires. They're not looking out for us. They're looking out for the utilities who are oiling them up. I think the biggest uh, up until that uh, up until the point of. That big pipeline explosion in San Bruno from 2010, there was not the there was not the spotlight on utilities. There was always an assumption that the California Public Utilities Commission was sort of in bed. They would always approve the rate hikes. They would always give uh, PG&E and San Diego Gas and Electric and Department of Water and Power and and SoCal as they'd always sort of bend to their will, it seemed. Then we had this massive, massive explosion in San Bruno that killed a few people. And it turns out that it was horrible maintenance on the part of PG&E. And after that, we had the gas leak in Porter Ranch where it was horrible, horrible reporting 
on behalf of the SoCal Gas Company. And everybody looks at the Public Utilities Commission and says, where were you guys? And it turns out they were, to use your your picture, your word picture, they were naked in bed with the lobbyists. Now, I understand the power companies operating like a business and trying to screw us repeatedly. Like, I get that. I get them wanting to pass on the the liability cost to rate payers because that's what businesses do to stay in business and to be successful. But don't wouldn't you like somebody in state government fighting for you, fighting for us? Wouldn't it be nice to have oversight of the utilities instead of these instead of these uh, sex parties? Sex parties. <laughs> now you've gone you've gone one step further. Uh, okay. You know what I mean? No, and, and nobody's paying attention to this, and everybody in Sacramento knows that. You know, they're getting so many so many kickbacks from. From different lobbyists with utilities and everything, and and nobody's nobody's talking about it. Well, and this is this it, the unfortunate part about it is it takes a massive, massive disaster like the campfire, like the Woolsey fire, for these people to be shaken out of the comfort zone of the of warm, secrecy, warm naked blankets with the lobbyists, <laughs> warm naked blankets. I'm with you, though. I think we need to create a new independent commission that swears off any sort of naked bedtime. And listen, I, I know this is this is the easy target when, when we talk about stories like this. The easy target is to say, how come we're, we're spending billions of dollars, we're, we're wasting resources on this stupid fairy tale train that's going to go yeah. nowhere? Why are we doing this when it would take a fraction of that cost to actually – actually do something that would help the state of California. The, a Blue Ribbon Commission coming up with uh, this this fire map that maps out utilities, maps out these transmission lines, that actually uses our state money to do something to, oh, I don't know, protect life and property, that would make a whole lot more sense than uh, a super-duper Hot Wheels track between here and uh, Madeira. Yeah, why aren't we spending the money to put the lines underground instead of the the train to Madeira? I don't know. Madeira's nice this time. I mean, I know it's not as sexy as a slow-speed train to Madeira, but it'll save out a lot of people's lives. That's pretty good, too. All right, about PG&E and about that issue with the transmission line malfunctioning minutes before the fire wiped out all of paradise, what PG&E has to say about it? It's not much, but we'll uh, explain when we come back. Gary and Channa will continue. Gary and Shannon. Good day on Wall Street. Dow up about 546 points. Traders like the remarks by the Fed chairman who hinted that the Fed might be willing to raise interest rates at a slower pace next year. See, what were you worried about? Hey, uh, speaking of that, uh, the largesse that you're getting from your stock market investments, you can help us feed 20,000 kids a week in L.A. and Orange Counties at our annual Pastathon to benefit Katarina's Club, broadcasting live all day from Christ Cathedral and Garden Grove. Next Friday will be December 7th. 
from 5 in the morning through 10 o'clock at night, starting with Jonesy and Wake Up Call, The Handle Show. We'll be there, John and Ken and the whole Conway crew. And we're accepting money, donations, pasta, and sauce. If you cannot make it, you can still help. You can drop off pasta and sauce donations at any one of a few dozen drop-off locations around Southern California. Go to pastathon.com. There's a little pin map. You can see where all of those donation spots are. You can also donate right there on the website at pastathon.com. But we'd love to see you out there. Christ Cathedral in Garden Grove, our annual Pastathon to benefit Katarina's Club, Friday, December 7th, all day. It's going to be a great time. Um, John will probably be in a robe at one point. Do you think he's going to do that? Because we, we will be at a place of God. Yeah. I don't remember if he wore the robe last year. Well, there's somebody wearing robes there. I mean, that's just kind of a it's kind of a normal thing to see. So maybe it just it slips in and we don't nobody notices necessarily. But the the John in a terry cloth robe, no one's going to notice that? <laughs> maybe. Bring cash by the way cuz we're going to be auctioning things off. Well, you don't have to bring cash. I mean, you can write a check. We'll be auctioning things off obviously with all of the money to go to Katarina's club. Oh look! You can uh, you can get coached by Doctor Wendy. I saw that. There's a there's the one about two night stays. You can do our uh, auction online right now about going with us to watch the Dodgers game. Oh, next season there's a. I can't get to that item for some reason. Well, maybe it's uh, I don't like to brag, but maybe it's already. Oh, there it is. It's already. What's the what's the bid now? The starting was, bid. Oh, a starting is bid. You mean no one's bid on it yet? Hundred dollars. That's a steal. That is a that steal. That is a steal. I mean. We do put on a good show. Let's see, join Gary and Shannon for a game at Dodger Stadium. Transportation will be provided to you, so you can booze it up. Not only that. To and from the game. Enjoy a few Dodger dogs in the luxury suite. Oh, man, that suite is nice right there on the third baseline. You know what's funny is they, they make us not eat the Dodger dogs there so that there are more for you. Yeah, I mean, so. there's a whole tray of them. I mean, you could probably eat... 18, 19 Dodger dogs. Yeah. And there's uh, popcorn. They'll just keep bringing them. Oh, yeah. They don't care. Like heaven. Dodger dogs are so delicious, aren't they? So PG&E yesterday, just yesterday, with a mustard, (laughs) filed a report with state regulators about what happened in the hours just before the campfire started in Butte County back on November 8th. They were... Under pressure for a few different things here. If you remember the uh, fire that burned in Napa and Sonoma counties last year, which we have now since determined that, in fact, it was started by PG&E lines in October of uh, last year. Days before the campfire ignited there in Pasadena and killed at least 88 people. I'm sorry. Town of Pleasure. Don't forget. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So I guess you can do it. Uh Killing 88 people at least, PG&E did warn customers in the days leading to that that it may cut electricity in Paradise and other fire-prone areas in the Sierra. Uh, But then they ultimately canceled plans to do that. Okay. Now, here's a rule. We were talking about the California Public Utilities Commission and how it kind of has uh, bent its will, of course, uh, bent to the will of the utilities. The CPUC requires companies to file reports 10 days after companies are warned about or experience these planned shutoffs, which is a new thing. I mean, these planned shutoffs because of weather is new. And the only time that the utility has to tell you about it, tell the CPUC about it, is if they're warned. 
The resolution that was adopted by the agency says that a utility is only required to provide an explanation if it cuts power. Okay? So they are talking about the original plan was any time customers are warned about shutoffs, they have to report that to the CPUC. Here's what here's the criteria we use. Here's the wind speed. Here's the location, whatever it is. But this resolution now says the utility is only required to provide an explanation if, it, in fact, it does go through with cutting power. And as we know, PG&E pulled back from their warning and said it did not reach the forecast levels that would warrant temporarily turning off the power for customer safety. However, if you're approaching forecasted levels that would warrant the turning off of power, which was the case, and there's a problem with a transmission line in, a, in that same area, isn't the default to turn off the power? Shouldn't the default be to turn off the power? Well, yes. And again, they're weighing their customer satisfaction against customer safety at this point because they're talking about if we cut power to nine counties, I think the email went out to nine counties, about 63,000 customers, we're gonna di- we are going to um, alienate, at least temporarily, the 63,000 customers who are without power. They have no way of knowing that the power line is going to fall down and ignite the, the state's worst ever fire disaster. But, but they have to make that decision. Based on the forecast information, PG&E no longer anticipated a possible need to de-energize, according to this report. You know who else wants to know about all of this and the criteria that they're using now for this idea of when they shut off power in high winds? The judge who oversaw PG&E's explosion in San Bruno. In August two years ago, federal jury convicted PG&E on six felony counts for illegal actions in connection with that gas line explosion in September of 2010. Killed eight people up near San Francisco International Airport. And as part of that conviction, they placed PG&E on probation for five years. During which time, just like you and me, when we were on probation that once, one time, we were expected not to commit any new crimes. What did we do to get that probation. It's something to do with pants. I don't remember exactly. But state fire investigators determined that PG&E's equipment caused those fires in October of last year up in the North Bay wine country. They also told state regulators that transmission line malfunctioned near the origin of the campfire. Fire investigators have not come to a conclusion yet. They're just, PG&E just came forward and said, yeah, we had some sparking. Yeah, we had some issues, but we're not saying that we did it. We just know that that was on there. Now, who knows what the judge could do if, in fact, the court finds that PG&E violated its probation by more illegal acts, by having these things start? Yeah, I mean, how you, how you go from it being an accident, you know, your transmission line, et cetera, uh, sparked and you didn't know it was going to. But there's enough information in there, including PG&E's own warnings that went out to people that said, uh, the conditions are pretty dicey. We might be able, we might have to shut off your power for a couple of hours while the winds are blowing through here. There's enough evidence that PG&E knew that there was a potential danger and did nothing about it. Remember Elon Musk and his idea to dig underneath Sepulveda for a tunnel to alleviate traffic in the city of L.A.? I said, go ahead and do it. We can't figure out how to fix Sepulveda, so why don't you go and do it? Sure, we'll waive this environmental review. Well, the West Side sued and said, uh, no, 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 no. You're not going to be digging under under our street. We don't want anybody else on the west side. We got an update on that story when we come back. Gary and Shannon will continue. I don't 
trying to tread lightly here. What did Nancy Pelosi do to her face? She got elected, uh, well, she's expecting that she'll be elected speaker. Don't you remember when that first happened, when she became, when uh, they took over Congress, Democrats took over Congress, and she was going to be the speaker? She disappeared for like six weeks. And, then and that's came, when that happened? And then came back shiny. It's, uh, that's a lot of work. Yeah. I she, she just don't went in for a tune-up or anything. Why do I just? That's a lot, though, Gary. Look at that. Why can't you her just... eyes are three inches back. She's surprised at something. She's very surprised. I don't know what and she's it's Botox. At. I mean, there's no lines on the forehead. That's just Botox. I guess I don't know. The eyebrows either, don't move. It's either Botox or a you know a, like a wall spackle. <laughs> oh my just... god! It's like did you ever see that movie Death Becomes Her with uh, Goldie Hawn and uh, Meryl Streep? We don't want to get old, so they uh, take this potion that makes uh-huh. them live forever. And right. so they live forever, but their bodies don't hold up forever, so they have to constantly spackle themselves. You know, they got to have Dean Sharp living with them with his tools out, constantly shaping their faces and things. That's what's happening here. All right. It's just, uh, how old is she? She is in her 70s. Mm. It's just an argument for going all gray gardens, isn't it? Just shutting yourself in and just not not doing it anymore. Maybe she's just yeah. I, I, 78. I, well, listen, and see that picture, this Wikipedia picture of her? That's not her anymore. Compared to that picture, she's it's speaking a, it's right a now on Capitol person. Hill. It's a completely different person. She is 78, 78 years old. Wow. Yep. Incredible. All right. You Okay. I just don't. Wanna, <laughs> I don't want to do it. I don't want to uh, get old. Democrats, by the way, are voting today uh, on whether or not Nancy Pelosi will be House Speaker again. Uh, it seems pretty clear that she will. Although it's nice that they've got at least a little bit of uh, conundrum to deal with, and maybe some younger Democrats who are in there saying, eh, "You know, I think it's time for Grandma to hang up her heels." Elon Musk was in traffic one day, and he was upset about it, so he decided to start digging tunnels. Uh, tunnel near the airport, and then the idea to, hell, let's dig behind, beneath Sepulveda. That's a nightmare. Could you imagine if you had not only the 405 as an option in Sepulveda, but a tunnel underground? That would be nice. They moved very quickly through the permit process to start digging under Sepulveda. They secured a preliminary exemption from California's environmental review requirements. Uh, the LA, uh, LA City Council Public Works Committee said... Uh, we don't need to do an in-depth environmental review. It's, this isn't going to carry passengers. You're fine. Essentially saying, hey, we can't figure out how to alleviate the nightmare that is going over over the hill there. Uh, Sepulveda 405, we can't figure it out. So if you want to take it, go ahead. But well, before the city council, the full city council could vote on this issue, the West Side sued. Yeah, some <laughs> bunch of fun sponges over there decided that they were going to sue uh, the boring company in the city. So in a joint statement from Elon Musk's company and this West Side Fun Sponge group called the Sunset Coalition and the Brentwood Residence Coalition, they called a, this amicable, yeah, amicable resolution to the petition. And they're no longer going to seek the development of the Sepulveda test tunnel and instead will look to do an operational tunnel at Dodger Stadium, which is important. Uh, that that Now, this is not the same short tunnel that we're talking about the uh they're going to pull the the curtain back on December 10th 
Remember, they have a short two-mile test tunnel underneath the city that goes from the SpaceX headquarters uh, towards uh, in the Hawthorne area towards LAX. They say that that's going to be unveiled still at this public event on December 10th. And this Dodger Stadium plan, Dodger Stadium thing could be totally different. They have plans uh, that he announced a couple of months ago to do a 3.6-mile dugout loop, he called it, that would run from Dodger Stadium to some property owned by the Boring Company near Vermont and Sunset. There's a Vermont Sunset uh, metro station there, Metro Red Line station. But there's also one at metro, Vermont Santa Monica, Vermont Beverly Metro. Depending on which one of those actually comes to fruition will determine how long this line actually is. But you would avoid the 101. You would avoid all of the traffic through Echo Park or Silver Lake, whatever it is. The problem is you've got to get there. You got, and then if you're going to be one of the people who rides this tunnel to Dodger Stadium, you have to park if you're going to drive. I don't know. It's not all worked out yet, according to Elon Musk. But the idea is that these little short test tunnels would eventually lead to a system that stretches all around the country of these below ground tunnels to, to get people from point and then, A to point uh, B. connect them. I just looked up the Brentwood Residents Coalition. Ooh, mm-hmm. Wait. Do you have to announce a trigger warning before you read anything? Is there a trigger warning somewhere on their website? No. Oh, it's... you know there is. You know, there are people that may be retired and don't have much to do mm-hmm. that uh, that take up these kinds of causes. I would suggest, and correct me if I'm wrong, without even having looked at the website, mm-hmm. that what you're going to say is it is a ridiculous privilege to be yes. able to sit on the Brentwood Residents yes, Coalition. That is exactly right. You got number one, you got a lot of time on your hands. A grassroots nonprofit oh. <laughs> advocacy group whose purposes are to preserve and enhance the environment and quality of life in Brentwood. Listen, guys. The quality you live of life in, in Brentwood. Brentwood. The quality is very high. Okay. Furthermore, you don't get to be grassroots anything if you live in Brentwood. Grassroots is for the Bernie Sanders people, the Occupy people. You're grassroots <laughs> crap. All right. In, purpose is is to improve the quality of life in Brentwood. Are you freaking kidding me? Like, did nobody write that down and then and then go realize uh, you how know ridiculous what? that sounds sound? horrible? That sounds so it pompous. It sounds like we don't realize how privileged we are. We should Let's never let that cut on our website. That out to protect the integrity of residential neighborhoods. Oh, that is so privileged. To educate the public on issues that affect quality of life and the environment. God forbid anything take away from the quality of life in Brentwood. I mean, I'll, I will be damned. Ugh. All right. Well, congratulations, people. Please invite us to the next meeting no, of the Brentwood Residents Coalition. <clears throat> well, Nick found a very troubling story, and I don't even know what to do with it. Well, we're going to tell you about uh, taxidermies. It's not just taxidermists. It's women who are taxidermists, but not like just the, hey, we're going to stuff that uh, antelope that you killed on your uh, latest hunting trip. It's we're going to turn it into a green dollhouse. Maybe we should get one of these people. Nope. Uh, no. Nope. 
Well, they might be able to help you stuff your dog when the time's right. Okay, I'm not going through this debate again. I'm not stuffing my dog. When we stuff Fergus, can uh. he be in the office? No. No, 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 no. Why? That's not our thing. Gary and Shannon will continue. Just a moment. Will Rosie Rivera has an update We already on the have news. that unicorn head. That's Take it away. What do you Go want? They're, not, they're just talking. <laughs> okay. You know I'll Lindsey Graham threatening to oppose key legislation until the Senate is briefed by the CIA on that killing of Jamal Khashoggi. The senators were briefed by Mike Pompeo and Jim Mattis, but Lindsey Graham says the briefing was inadequate and wants uh, the CIA to speak directly to them about the intelligence they have. Remember, the CIA says this goes all the way up to the crown prince, to the to the top of the top of the power structure in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. And Mike and, Pompeo says, I have not seen any evidence of that. And Gina Haspel was not at this briefing today, so I'd be curious to see what she would have to say about it. Um, another gene-edited baby may be on the way. You may have heard this story from uh, from earlier this week, but a Chinese researcher claims to have helped make the world's first genetically edited babies. Says there is now a second pregnancy at a very early stage. Said uh, he was defending his controversial work at this international conference in Hong Kong because a bunch of people have said he's crazy. He's for trying doing this. to make the kids resistant. To infection from AIDS by modifying their genes, and uh, the entire scientific community is losing their minds over it. Well, I mean, he picked the one thing that uh, probably nobody could argue with. It's just how he's doing it. Just uh, the the principle of doing it. Yeah, crazy. All right. Uh, This is a a spot in the dark web that's come to light. And this is not the darkest it could get, but this is is pretty crazy. I remember seeing some um, Walter Potter is an old-timey taxidermist, like from the 1800s taxidermy. And what Walter Potter used to do was bring in, uh, he would build these dioramas that had, like, guinea pigs playing cricket or kittens sitting around drinking tea. Oh, yeah, I'm watching that right now, the kittens drinking the tea. (laughs) And then there's, yeah, bunnies in a classroom. Mm -mm. Oh, then there's a wedding with Cats or mice? Rats. Do you know <laughs> that we creatures. have um, an engineer, uh, Craig, Yes, who has a bunch of um, rodents, Rod- ma- mice, and, and rats, and he dresses them up and puts them in pageants. I'm not sure if the pageant thing It does- is true. That is confirmed. It's not just a show like a, like a cat show or a dog show? He he dresses them. He dresses them. The live rodents. Would it just be a dog show if there wasn't a skills competition? And when what we I found mean, this it, no. out, when we found this out, we said we've got to get him on the show to dig into this whole pageant world that yeah. we didn't know about, right. and then we kind of forgot about it. I think we need to make that happen sooner rather than later. Craig also took care of our other engineer, Bert. Um, Bert had a, a pet squirrel named Velcro. That lived in the house, and when he would go out of town, Craig would take care of Velcro as well. Mm-hmm. I believe in their garage, it's like a two-car garage, and in that's a three-car garage, and that's where they keep 
the hundreds of, of uh, pageant rats. Pageant. I mean, we've got to get into that. That is a story right under our nose that we have not milked. Pageant Nobody wants to milk the rats. I'm up for it. Here. Taxidermy. Taxidermism. Taxidermation. The sport of taxidermy. Don't think it's a sport. The movement of taxidermy. Activity? The art. The art. 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 Good Great job. word, Nick. He's so accepting. The art of taxidermy has taken on sort of an interesting twist. You, It's not just uh, uh, Uncle Donnie's, uh, you know, 12-point buck up on the wall anymore. No, it is, uh, I think art was the correct term. It's an art scene, and it's been gaining ground in Southern California for about a decade. There was a big article about this in the L.A. Times and the new thing to do is to make these animals dollhouses of sort. Uh, g- you know, get rid of the insides and put dolls in there. Fantasy lands. I'm looking at the picture of a ram, a uh, dead ram, and it's been hollowed out. And inside is like a little uh, castle. He's been made into a castle, like a fairyland castle with a moat and, and stuff. I don't. I don't understand. I, I understand taxidermying an animal post death for the purposes of preservation. I mean, we've seen that in museums forever, right? But the idea of then turning that thing into a piece of art. Brooke Weston did this thing called art. Called you're right. Yes. But I suppose, but but why does it have to be turned into something? Why does it have to be a ram slash dollhouse? Because that's art. He doesn't get it. You he doesn't guys. get it. There are. <clears throat> should there, we get so using we get your parents on the line to explain it to you a little bit? Using power tools, one of the women will cut the taxidermied animal open, hollow it out, then use plaster and other building materials to create a miniature world inside the creature. I'm out. Shaping tiny alpine cottages, ships, cabins, fanciful castles by hand. Uh, Nick, I'm out. You like sunken ships. Time has been granted. Ships. Time has been granted. You just read that they hollow out yeah, the animal. Like this. Look at that deer. Inside is a little a little fireplace. What would and I'm not an animal rights guy. I think they taste incredible. But the idea you know what that you, you know who I'd like to ask about this is-, this is Robin because she loves animals and she also likes those little um, the little like the the fairy tale garden things like the little miniature yes garden. It's like an art, right? Okay. And this kind of takes both of those things and puts them together. I love deer, but, and I'm troubled by this. This one deer here that's hollowed out, and there's a fireplace inside his stomach. Fireplace, a little tiny dollhouse fireplace. Uh, I just don't understand the. The L.A. Times did a ten-page article on this. Is that is that what we're doing now? I don't know. Well, I did a write-up on it, too. So you can go to our Facebook and Twitter and uh, the website, and it's all right there. And, you and can see, see all, all the... of these pictures. It's yeah. Some of these, I mean, when you get past the idea that that was at once a live animal, it is pretty interesting to see that you would then put a Victorian dollhouse into a deer with a staircase going up its right antler to, like, a uh, 
a crow's nest style fort up on top. The of artist uh, about the uh, talking about this very piece says he has this stance of power, this king of the forest look, along with this kind of whimsical expression. So she built that dainty purple castle and dyed the deer lavender. She says he's still really masculine. He definitely carries it. This crumbling castle dollhouse I built on him. There's one that looks like a like a room out of a Pirates of the Caribbean ship or something. It's pretty cool. Wow. Just hope my wife isn't listening. Your wife wants to get the dog stuffed, right? When the dog passes on. What kind of diorama do you think would suit Fergus? Oh yeah. What, <gasps> like what? a Scottish. Like a Scottish. He theme. could be like upright, like yeah. he's begging for food, and he could be a Scottish castle, like, like Stonehenge oh inside. Of we're not. We're Stonehenge. not putting. Yeah. We're not yeah. putting things into. And maybe the dog. a man with a kilt. A kilt in uh, the bagpipes? dog. In the dog. In oh. the dog. Bagpipes. We could you turn, turn Fergus into bagpipes. Turn his haunches uh, into bagpipes. Man. Get out of here. We just got a go. sword. Loch Ness monster. Hope she's not listening for your sake. A haggis. It's gonna be amazing. again my wife wins yes uh so we were discussing right before the top of the hour there sort of these artistic uh, taxidermists who will take animals and turn them into scenes build a dollhouse into the middle of a, a ram or something and she not we she has toyed with the idea of getting our scottish terrier fergus uh stuffed in the event of his eventual passing, uh, whenever that may be. Hopefully it's a long time away because I don't want to. It's going to be a long time. hope it's a long time. Oh, yeah. Uh, but you were suggesting things that could be put into my dog as right. part of this artistic we taxidermism. Had, like, a man in a kilt. Right. Uh, I think Nick added a, a Scottish beef dish. Yeah, haggis. Mm-hmm. A bowl of haggis or something nearby. Uh, we thought maybe uh maybe like bagpipes. a little fireplace. My, oh. my wife wins. She says we should <laughs> we should do a little diorama of a scene from Braveheart in his belly. They'll never take our freedom. Two little guys going after yes. each other, and yes. Mel Gibson in the blue face. Yes. And, uh, you could do Fergus's face painted blue too. I think we should just do that for Halloween. I think that would be a be- that, that would be would a great be costume. Yeah. Can't wait till your dog dies. Stop with that. <laughs> too far. Too far. Gosh. Play the thing. Play Sorry, the thing. Time for What's Happening. Well, it looks like we may have one of the most prolific serial killers in history. Samuel Little, 78 years old, told investigators he may have committed as many as 90 murders. And authorities say they've got evidence of his ties to at least 34 of those so far. This is a guy who's already serving multiple life sentences. He was convicted here a handful of years ago of some murders. And he began talking last spring in exchange for a prison transfer because he lost an appeal. His life of crime goes back decades. He was first arrested in 1956, according to the FBI. And they said that there was a dark, violent streak in a lot of his crimes. Everything from shoplifting and fraud 
to drug charges, solicitation, breaking and entering. In 2012, he was arrested at a homeless shelter back in Kentucky and brought back to California on a narcotics charge. And that's when the LAPD matched his DNA to three unsolved murders from the 80s, in which all three women were killed in exactly the same way. Hey, remember that uh, false missile alert that went out to everybody in Hawaii January claiming a, a missile was headed toward Hawaii? Mass panic ensues. It took the state 38 minutes to correct its mistake. Well, in those 38 minutes, there was uh, a man there who had a heart attack, and so he sued the state. The couple was on their way to the Sandy Beach area of Oahu and decided, hey, if we're going to die, these missiles are coming. We might as well be together on the beach. The alert, remember, said ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii. Seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill. They made their way to the beach. He began calling loved ones, and it was about that time they said he farted. No, he didn't do that. Well, you don't know that. I I suppose he could. Maybe he was a nervous gasser. Shields began to feel a severe and painful burning in his chest area. So he's having this heart attack. Went into cardiac arrest, had to have life-saving CPR, defib, and then later surgery. And as they went through this medical ordeal, they were still unaware that the alert had been reversed. So they were still under the impression that the missiles were coming down while he's having a heart attack. Remember the flight to Jakarta in Indonesia that crashed Lion Air Flight 610? We're learning about the moments right before it plunged into the ocean, killing everyone on board, 189 people. It seems that the pilot was in a violent tug of war with the plane's automatic systems that were obviously faulty. There are, in 737s, every airplane that's out there today that's flying for a major carrier, there are redundancies after redundancies after redundancies. And the things that they do in terms of what these pilots have to go through in their simulator training every year is this exact style of emergency. I don't know if this one specifically, but this kind of thing where the computer is misreading what the plane is actually doing, and then they have to they have checklist after checklist after checklist of what to do in those events to override the computer. Data retrieved from the recorder shows pilots repeatedly fought to override this automatic safety system. It pulled the plane's nose down more than two dozen times. The system was responding to faulty data, which suggested that the nose was tilted at a higher angle than it was, indicating the, the plane was at risk of stalling. But here's the thing. There were pilots who the same in that same plane flew that same plane. Another flight crew was able to follow the same procedure when they encountered the same issue just one day ahead of that. Now, they were able to get out of it. For some reason, that pilot team, that pilot and first officer were unable to. Well, there is a city council effort in New York to... Punish cyber flashers. What is that? Two city council members have proposed a bill that would punish cyber flashers. These are people who airdrop uh, naked pictures of themselves to nearby smartphones. Like if I've got a picture right here, if I've got something on my phone and then I, I click the little button to like share it or email it or text it, it gives me the option to airdrop it. To... Yeah, but do I come up there as a since my phone is right here as well? Let me check. Try to let's see here. Share me, a picture me... of. Let me get something here. Yeah. Uh, let me get a picture. 
There's a picture that's not airdrop and people nearby. Make sure that they have their airdrop. Uh, Gary's nearby. iPhone. Pat? Oh, I guess I've got yeah, I've got you up there too. Huh. It doesn't seem to let me it says Oh yeah, there it is. Oh, you just sent me a picture of your dog. That's not my dog. I declined it. What? I'll send it to Nick. He wants anyway, you can send these uh pictures of your dog or something like that to uh to other people whether or not they want to. And now these council members say they want to outlaw the unsolicited sharing of penis pictures and other similar images, like the Washington Monument. Oh look, I just sent you a picture and now it says waiting. I heard a uh a, a like declining, I don't need to see trash. Girls do at bars a lot. They'll send out a selfie Decline. of themselves to all the public airdrops and it'll just be like, Hey, you wanna buy me a drink? So then, like, the Ugh, really desperate guys so will go and buy the you don't, drink. you don't fall for that, do you, Blake? Do, yeah, I hang out at bars all the time. Speaking of a nervous gasser, oh. <laughs> there's a woman in, well, where's Monica when you needed her? Florida. <laughs> she was in line at a Dollar General store, and she passed gas. Shanetta mm-hmm. Wilson is her name. Mm-hmm. And the guy standing next to her, a guy by the name of John Walker, said, what are you doing? So they start fighting over it. Fighting the Taliban just to come back and smell this? She pulls a knife from her purse, opens the knife, oh. and tells the guy she's going to gut him like a, like a deer <laughs> and then stick a little castle in him. They found her eventually. She was... Uh... Was arrested, taken to jail. Like, if you are going to fart publicly in line somewhere with yeah. a guy standing next to you, right? And he takes, he gets to take issue with that, right? Well, wouldn't you say it wasn't me? I mean, it's it doesn't say if the if the I think it was pretty obvious. I was think the it was, evidence? There, well, there was volume. Oh, so it was an audible thing and an not a thing. not an aural. No, I guess that would be the same thing. Not a nasal thing? What? Never mind. How did this next story work its way into our show? I think it's fake. That's I want to I wanna throw out there. I think this is Ugh. a fake news story. Everybody knows Rose McGowan, right, from uh, her sort of pulling the first brick out of the wall that was Harvey Weinstein and her allegations against him. Rose McGowan has for some time now been in a relationship with uh, Rain Dove, the gender-fluid model. Rain Dove supposedly was maced inside a women's bathroom because Rain Dove appears to be very masculine. And the woman who allegedly maced Rain Dove then had a very serious change of heart. We'll explain the whole story when we come back. Yes, we will. Gary and Shannon. No. I guarantee you. No, 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 no. Yes. Born a man. Nick? I don't know how you're going to Born a man. Rain dove. Man or born a man or a woman. Right here. Or with male or... Born female. No. 
Done. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, okay, here's the thing. Rain, your world has just been rocked, hasn't it? Rain Dove is a an American model, actor, activist who prefers non-gendered pronouns. Rain Dove Dibaluski. And I believe that Rain Dove's given name at birth was Victoria, if I'm not mistaken. And Rain Dove right now is making headlines for uh, the relationship that Rain is in with Rose McGowan. All that aside. Shannon is struggling with something that I think a lot of people would struggle with in terms of the view, the the look. Because Rain, if you look at Rain Dove wearing, for example, this long sleeve t-shirt right here. This one right here. Mm-hmm. You'd think that's some college age dude holding up his passport in front of the mirror, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, short, super short hair, kind of spiky at the top. She also posts pictures of her topless. Right. That was, that uh, was and, an advertising campaign. Yeah. Um, and breasts. Yeah. So she, okay. Okay. It's gender fluid. Gender fluid is the term that she prefers. Got it. Okay. Rain has made headlines for continually, continuously challenging gender norms and the concept of gender altogether. And likes the idea that when, when Rain walks up to you on the street, you don't know what's going on. Loves that thing, right? Loves to challenge people's. You have a you you look as if something just broke wind in the studio, and I guarantee it wasn't me. Rain said in a an Instagram post that Rain had just been pepper sprayed in a women's restroom a little bit ago. I didn't get to converse with this being because the person just sprayed me and ran past with their kids in terror, asking the security guard to come in and confront me. The assumption being. That the woman with her children in the women's room believed that this was a man who came into the women's room. You could easily make that mistake. And then supposedly the pepper sprayer tracked her down on Instagram. If you're if you're somebody who who yes. is living the gender fluid life, yes. how do you not think that there might be an altercation in a restroom when there are little kids involved? Interesting you should ask that because in this conversation that they get in in text, which I think is completely bogus, Rain lays out a simple explanation and some sort of uh, mind chewing for this woman to go through to sort of see where Rain Dove comes from. It's a weird mind-bending thing. I think it's proof that this is completely bogus. Furthermore, if you are a gender-fluid person and you could uh, appear as a man or a woman in the traditional sense of the words, wouldn't you then err on the side of caution and always use the men's room? Or were you just feeling female that day? But what if you want to challenge everybody's gender norms? See, that's not what you should be doing in bathrooms. I don't know. This is ridiculous. So you, do, the one that starts Ola. Right. You seen that? You Ola, start yeah. Ola. So, Ola. The, so that you're the pepper sprayer, and I'm Rain Dove, and this is a text conversation that we get into. Why do they have each other's numbers, or is it on Instagram? This was on Instagram. Got it. Okay. Ola, I'm the mother that maced you in the ladies' room last week, and I would do it again. I hope that pepper spray burned the f out of you. I think it's sick that you go into ladies' rooms and you encourage others to do it on social media. Go to the one your ID says to. Keep your nasty D away from us. Well, hello there, friend. I'm glad you reached out. I was so tied up washing out my eyes and talking to the security guard, I didn't get to tell you what I wanted to say before you left. And then posted a picture of 
Rain Dove's passport that shows under the sex category the letter F. And says, here's my ID. Here's my ID. Uh, female. And then... And then I say, but you didn't look like one. And I reply... This is total baloney. Why would you say that? I don't know. I was going to say short hair, but I guess you could have been a person with cancer or meth addiction or just a slur for a lesbian. I guess because you're tall, but I guess female basketball players are tall too. Though your face is really manly, that's what did it for me, the face. This is such... This is not a story. This is total BS, isn't it? It is. Uh, Rain Dove. I get that a lot, but that's why growing up, I always felt that that F, you know, instead of female, stood more for this and then showed the same passport, but the F says fail. I want to go to the news. Hold on. This and this was the thing that cemented it <laughs> for me, ridiculous. right? Because yeah, Rain, dang, does Rain that Dove, happen often? Rain Dove, like she changed this woman's mind or something. Had just it. been assaulted by this woman, right? And is able to say this. What I wanted to say to you before you left yeah. so quickly was that while you hurt me, I still admire your bra- bravery. You were protecting yourself and your children against what you believe to be a tall cis man coming into the restroom. <laughs> With many warnings growing up about getting hurt or even raped in the bathroom by deviant men, it's easy to be brainwashed into thinking that anyone that is what society seems to be a penis bearer will have negative or sexual intentions when in an intimate space. What did you, you did what you thought was right in the moment and it takes courage, by the way. Then gives this woman ideas on how to protect herself when she and her children are in the women's restroom. Seeing them as an individual is really important and respectful. If you see them as an individual, then you can assess them as an individual. Look at their actual actions as an individual. If a person is advancing on you using inappropriate or threatening language or brandishing their genitalia in a way that is not aimed at a toilet or urinal... Then act in a a sensible way that is self-protective. And then the woman who supposedly pepper sprayed Rain Dove says, I feel dumb now. I do, too. That story made you dumber? Yeah. I mean, who who sits down and comes up, concocts that story, and then sits down and scripts that out? Somebody who has time. I don't know. Between modeling shots. I don't know. All right, coming up. I've got a Paul Manafort conspiracy theory. Oh, you really? Yeah. Okay. We'll do that when we come back. It's not really a conspiracy theory. It's just a a good theory, I think. Jump into Swamp Watch right after this. Gary and Channel will continue. And even when your hope is gone, move along, move along, just to make it through. Gary and Shannon giving away a pair of tickets to the L.A. Auto Show plus a $25 gas card. Auto Show running from November 30th to December 9th at the L.A. Convention Center. A thousand vehicles, including the latest cars, trucks, SUVs, tons of new electric vehicles, concepts, and more new vehicle debuts from Jeep, Mercedes, Porsche, BMW, Nissan, Volvo, Toyota, many more. How about caller number six? Love it. 
1-800-520-1KFI, 1-800-520-1534. Yeah, it's time to call. Come on, it's time to call. Let's call. Yeah. It's also time for Swamp Watch. Drain the swamp. We're going to drain the swamp of Washington. We're going to have fun doing it. We're all doing it together. Swap Big deals that uh, have been making the headlines in Washington, D.C. are what we talk about every day at 1230 when we get into Swamp Watch. And lawyers for Paul Manafort have uh, apparently been chit-chatting with President Trump's legal team on what Paul Manafort may have been talking to um, special counsel's prosecutors about. Uh, We know that because the lead attorney, Rudy Giuliani, has confirmed it all to ABC News. One of the other things is uh, that the president was doing an interview with the New York Post uh, today and was asked about a potential pardon for Paul Manafort. And uh, Trump asked rhetorically in response, why would I take a pardon off the table? So he didn't answer the question because can't answer the question with a question and get a real... Of course he's going to pardon him. This was the this was the plan from the beginning. Uh, Manafort never was going to cooperate with the Bob Mueller investigation. All he was doing was getting information for Trump and his lawyers, finding out what they were interested in. He can pass it along so then the president knows how to publicly go after Mueller and is prepared on how to ask the questions related to the investigation. And now that the president has Whitaker in the AG's office, uh, he doesn't need Manafort to cooperate anymore. He's going to pull the plug on the investigation. Yeah, and anyway. so Manafort's like, screw this. They'll uh, they'll sentence Manafort, and then he'll be pardoned. It's following, all a scam. It's all a scam. Following this whole thing has been Aaron Katursky in uh, New York for us and for ABC News. Aaron, um, what sort of information do we know, if any, has been passed between Paul Manafort's lawyers and President Trump's lawyers? Well, we don't know specifically, although we are coming to to learn some of the things that um, that that perhaps the, uh, the, the the Manafort's legal team had started to share, and and, and it was a uh, first CNN, and and you know now I, I I believe we're going to be confirming that um, th- there were a couple of uh, subjects. One was. Um, you know the and and this is really informing how the president has been answering things you know the, the, it's all it's about his uh, you know about the meeting the trump tower meeting which we know the president was asked about and and uh about don jr and all of that and and and, and again without knowing specifically what the information is the general themes i think are reflected in 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 the president's tone you know because he's been railing um in in recent days as as manafort's plea fell apart uh, about you know specific instances talking about forcing uh the special counsel forcing people to lie uh in order to get trump yeah i saw that that he was suggesting that the special counsel forced at least three people to lie uh, and then used a reference, of course, to uh, to the McCarthy hearings. Right, and and look, the, the the president has, I think, been, if nothing else, steadfast in his uh, admonition of uh, Special Counsel Robert Mueller of the investigation itself, 
Uh, Ivanka Trump, the uh, the president's eldest daughter, uh, who spoke exclusively to ABC News, said that she's not worried about it because she thinks it ought to come to its conclusion, and she knows what her family did, and there's no exposure there. Um, and and we heard you know Sarah Sanders talk about uh, not firing Mueller, but but you know wanting to get on with it. And so you know little by little, officials are consistently trying to discredit the investigation. All the while, uh, Mueller remains silent, and and specifically what he has on who, you know, we still don't we still don't exactly know. Any uh, update on the the news about WikiLeaks and Julian Assange and the meetings that they allegedly had, uh, Manafort and Assange? Uh, only the Guardian is is reporting it that I know of. We have not been able to to independently confirm, and it is a. Look, it's, it's, it's a big headline, if true, but it's also, you know, Paul Manafort had been under investigation for things well beyond Trump for years before he even entered Trump's orbit. And so if he were to suddenly appear at the doorstep of, you know, one of the, the, the most controversial figures in the world um, for, for, for a meeting, you'd think that that may have been known before. So, you know, again, we haven't been able to independently confirm whether Manafort actually had these these uh, these uh, reported meetings with, with Assange. It's it, quite a struggle, isn't it, uh, when you think about prosecutors trying to get information from Paul Manafort, because why would he hand them any information if the the president is who he is right now and you know a pardon is inevitable? What did they well, think they were going to get from him? Well, the president said today he didn't think, you know, he's not taking pardons off the table. Now, we don't know whether there's been any promise to, um, to, to, to Paul Manafort. We know that under the terms of his guilty plea, he's not supposed to benefit um, in any way from, from his plea. Now, you could argue is a, a pardon promise, a benefit. I mean, that, that may be a bridge too far, so, so we'll see. But I, I, but I think, you know, it, just in, the, in, in general, he, he hopes for a, le- a more lenient prison sentence. And, and he had already been convicted in, in one court uh, and, and perhaps was hoping rather than go through another. And, and he saw where the chips fell before that, that he could plead guilty, cooperate and and perhaps uh, argue for a reduced sentence. And that's you know clearly off the table now, as, as prosecutors have alleged that he's he's been lying to them repeatedly. And then finally, is there any way we can get a hand on the timing of when a report will come out of the special prosecutor's office, special counsel's office? Oh, uh, but, but no. Uh, you know, they, 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 there's no way to know. Mueller hasn't uh, hasn't tipped his hand. And, and, and truthfully, it's been really speculation that there would be, you know, a detailed report. Will it be? You know what shape will it take? How will it how will it look? What, what, is it going to be entered into the congressional record, and Congress will have to release it? I mean, we just don't know any of that. And um, you know, and there's nothing to say that this couldn't tip into the uh, into the new year. Aaron, thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. You know, one of the other things that happened uh, in D.C. today is Nancy Pelosi was uh, elected once again to be the Speaker of the House in the next session of Congress. We'll talk about all of that when we come back. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM six forty. 640? Is that the number? That's right. You're new here. We don't feel like outsiders.
reminder that a week from Friday, we are going to be at Christ Cathedral in Garden Grove for our annual KFI Postathon to benefit Katarina's Club. And we're going to be broadcasting live all day from 5 in the morning through 10 o'clock at night. And you can bring in your money, donations, your pasta, your sauce to help us feed 20,000 kids a week in L.A. and Orange Counties. We have a few things that we would like to be auctioning off. I mean, some little things during the show. So if you're there in person, you'll get your hot hands on those uh, those those things. I don't want to give away any hints, but you should be there in person. We're going to be auctioning those off. And the donation, of course, will go to Katarina's Club. Also, if you go to pastathon.com, you'll see not only all of the alternate drop-off locations... The Smart and Final plan for $10 donation at the check uh, at the register at Smart and Final stores in California, Arizona, Nevada. You'll see all of the auction items that are available there as well. The big ticket items like going to a Dodgers game with us and watching uh, watching the Dodgers in that uh, luxury suite that they, for some reason, let us into last time. Let's see. Somebody's bid on the uh, Bill Handel and Chef Bruno dinner. Okay. $400. Okay. Um, but nobody's bid on our, oh, our, our our baseball game yet. Our baseball game in the suite with all the Dodger dogs you can eat. And again, you can check it out at pastathon.com. We have been uh, talking about what's been going on in the House uh, as Democrats try to figure out as they go forward into the next congressional session what's going to happen with the Speaker of the House. Now, Nancy, Nancy Pelosi, Pelo- yes, she's the minority leader right now and would be the person most likely to take over as Speaker of the House. They voted 203 to 32 in that closed-door session for her nomination to be Speaker of the House. Okay, That's so, not as many as have opposed her in the past, right. but she will need more to survive a full-floor vote early next year. Because... She'll need 218 votes yeah. if all the Republicans vote against her. Because in that vote, the whole House votes. So you need right. the you need the, the majority, and it's 218. Um, so she could win with fewer votes if some of the lawmakers are absent or they vote present, et cetera. They will have a 233-vote majority. But if you've got those 32 Democrats who have voted against her already, and their argument isn't necessarily that she's a bad person. It's just... They need new they leadership. Need new fresh blood. After you uh, leave that post, it's pretty hard to reclaim it. I mean, I don't know what the numbers are, but it's kind of not done a lot. The only thing I would say in her defense. I think that they need Nancy Pelosi at this time. The Democrats do. You've got a lot of freshman Democrats, a lot of new faces and new blood is good, but they don't know how to navigate the convoluted avenues that you have to navigate to do what this House is going to want to do to the president and this administration in terms of subpoenas or whatever else they've got planned to attack and be the resistance, you're going to need somebody who's been there for 500 years. But among those 32 people who voted against her today in this closed-door session, I think that there are people there who say, along those same lines, we're going to need somebody with more energy, who's less willing to buckle under political pressure, who's willing to put their their uh, political life at risk by going after somebody like that. Yeah, but I don't know if they know how to play that chess game. True. I, the energy doesn't doesn't make you a good chess player. Uh, but maybe mom, I was going to say maybe somebody who's more media savvy. I think I think Nancy Pelosi does that pretty well in yeah. terms of getting out in front of the cameras, <laughs> like we saw her today. She's she's had even more it's work. A lot done. of work. It's, it's a lot of work. Whoever her plastic surgeon in it is. Uh, I'm not judging. Busy. I'm just yeah. highlighting. Uh, yesterday, just to update you on that runoff down in Mississippi, it turns out that uh, Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith 
did win this runoff uh, against uh, Mike Espy. The comments that uh, really played a role in this were whether or not she was talking about a, a public hanging, and people thought that that was uh, racist for her to say, if he invited me to a public hanging, I'd be on the front row. There was another video that talked to, uh, that showed her talking about liberal folks and making it just a little more difficult for them to vote. So um, she has been reelected in the uh, it, to the Senate to finish out a term for um, a senator who had to retire back in uh, April because of some health problems. Well, the president uh, is not a fan of GM's decision to close down five different plants and lay off close to 15,000 workers. When he took office, he said not one plant would close. Um, in fact, they'll be coming back. You just wait and see. I promise you no plants will close. Uh, so GM's not making him look so great, and he has hinted that he may support new tariffs on auto imports over this. It was in a series of tweets that he argued a longstanding 25% tariff on light trucks has boosted U.S. auto manufacturers and that the same approach could work for cars. If we did that with cars coming in, he said, more, many more cars would be built here, and GM wouldn't be closing their, their plants. I, I am sad to see this argument going on like this because I don't think that the problem of tariffs, the increased tariffs, yes, it has had an impact on GM, but their biggest issue is not the tariffs. Their biggest issue is they're making products that nobody wants to buy anymore. Yeah. Nobody wants to buy the the Chevy sedans. The, the family car thing just doesn't – no one's excited about that anymore. And they haven't changed their production to uh, to match the taste of uh, the consumer yet. So I know it's part of the problem, but the idea that they're going go to go to war over tariffs is, uh, is unfortunate, I think, because it hides the issue of whether or not they're just making products that people want or don't want. There may be no Putin meeting. What? I've been waiting for that for weeks. The president and, uh, and Vladimir Putin are expected to meet at the next G20 summit. Putin's foreign affairs advisor noted that the meeting, which is set for Saturday, had been prepared through official channels. Moscow expects Washington to notify it of any changes if it's going to happen. The president, our president, said yesterday that he could cancel the meeting in Argentina because of what Russia has been doing in Ukraine. I guess Russia seized three Ukrainian naval ships last weekend. So, But what's weird is... In those times when uh, the president, the White House will say something like, yes, Vladimir Putin and Donald Trump will be in the same place at the same time, but we have zero expectation that they'll meet. Next thing you know, there's pictures of them fist bumping, high fiving, little finger guns to each other. Hey, buddy, a little wink and a nod. And then this, you know, they have a, a specific meeting that is set up. And now there's a threat that they wouldn't wouldn't meet. So anyway, that's supposed to be on Saturday as the president gets ready for the G20 summit in Argentina. Up next, U.S. Customs and Border Patrol lays out a battle plan to deal with all of these alleged asylum seekers. We'll tell you how that's playing out at the border when we come back to Gary and Shannon. Do you turn it up? Do you sing along every time you hear that song? Like we did then, like we did when. Here's an email. Oh, I love email. Your bumper music confirms to me that you and your sidekick believe you're still hip and 13 years old. 
Grow the hell up. Listen. And while you're at it, turn down the dad burn music. And listen. Get off my lawn. All right. Our bumper music chef over there is 13. <laughs> Times right. two. Well, you know. But it's basically like I have two 13-year-old brains together. So, Thanks, WD, whatever that means. Your bumper music confirms that you and your sidekick believe you're still hip and 13 years old. Which one is which one is us and which is the sidekick, too? Do we know that for sure? Well, I think it's because I'm I'm the girl. So I'm like the sidekick. I didn't say that. He did. Or she did. No, Whoever I know. WD is. I know. But uh, back in the in the 60s, that's how it worked. Uh, <laughs> Alex Stone has been covering the situation at the border for us. And it looks like um, U.S. Customs and Border Patrol says it's going to be quite some time before they hear any of those claims from these uh, alleged asylum seekers, huh? Yeah, guys, hey, you know, we've been talking about that they could do 100 claims a, a day, but that is under optimal conditions. And it, so it's up to 100. And what we didn't know until now is that they already had 2,400, right around 2,400 migrants who were waiting to claim asylum before this caravan even arrived. That they have to get through those first, and then they will work on these migrants coming from uh, this caravan. So the current estimate that Customs and Border Protection, CBP, has before they'll begin processing this caravan is somewhere between five and eight weeks. That would be before the first one can go in. And again, they can do up to 100 a day, but many days they do none based on capacity. Some days they'll do one, some days they'll do five or ten. That Very rarely do they actually make it to 100 because there are so many people inside the, the San Isidro Uh, border crossing building that are beginning that process. So we're looking at now the potential that they won't get to all of these migrants if the migrants don't bail and and give up, which we've seen some doing, for it looks like maybe six to eight months before they, they get to all of them. And they would have to be in Tijuana. They would have to live there and wait until they're told that, that they can come in. Well, Tijuana is not not ready to handle an extra 8,000, 6 to 8,000 people. And there's very little chance that that any of them or many of them would even apply for asylum in Mexico because they know that that's not likely. So we feel like we're stuck right here, right? Well, yeah. And while this caravan is waiting, there are more migrants who are showing up and there are other caravans on the way. So if it really does take six eight months to, to clear them out, there are going to be potentially tens of thousands of others who have arrived in the meantime who are then also going to be waiting. So you're going to get this big crowd waiting to, if more continue to come, as they are right now, waiting in Tijuana, which you're going to have tensions rising of those who are tired of waiting, probably illegal immigration going up because those who are waiting are going to get set up and try to figure out some way to, to go in. There are all kinds of problems, not to mention you have sitting ducks then in, in Tijuana with the drug trade and, and the sex trade and others of people who the bad guys know are there and that they are grouped in, in one area. Right now there is military security around that encampment, but if you get other caravans showing up and people are all around the city, then you, you potentially would have big populations who could be at risk. Yeah, this seems like a 
maybe one of the solutions to the problem is to create or announce this backlog of you're going to you're going to be here for months and there's not much there for for people uh, so it seems like that they might not um they might have not have a choice but to turn around and go back yeah and in the the long run that may be the best thing the the problem is that there are so many in the pipeline right now who are still coming and getting information to them uh isn't great it doesn't seem like once they're on the road that, that they get that information so at least for a while the numbers would appear that they are going to, to continue going up. And this caravan that's already here is going to be somewhere, once they all arrive, between right now it's around five to, to 6,000, but up to 9,000, and, and they'll be waiting for quite a while. We are, though, beginning to see, as we were talking about yesterday and in the last couple of days, some of the migrants who have said enough is enough, that what the president has done here for those who were more picturing running into the U.S., overwhelming immigration authorities just in sheer numbers like they did in southern Mexico when they overran immigration authorities there, that because there is so much force on the border, border patrol agents, troops, uh, all the barbed wire, that they've decided there is no way that, that they're going to be able to get in. Even some of those who were going to claim asylum are now saying, uh-uh, they're throwing in the towel, they're going home. Uh, as some are saying they'll try later, that they'll come back later, that they now they don't want to camp out, so many with children, those who are giving up, uh, for a number of months, that, that they just can't do it. The others, mainly young men, are saying, well, clearly now we can't sneak in, and they're giving up as well. So what the president has done force-wise on the border clearly appears to, to be working as about 100 on Monday, it looks like around 100 yesterday, said, you know what, we give up, we're going back deport us and send us back to Central America. Alex, thank you. Yeah, thanks, guys. Alex Stone, the latest on what's been going on along the board. A couple things that uh, that I was thinking about while watching and reading these stories about what's going on at the border, uh, specifically about the tear gas. I mean, everybody used the term tear gas. That's not what we use anymore in those instances. We talked about it the other day. It's it's the, the pepper-based spray. Yeah, it's a, it's less man-made uh, mustard gas World War One than it is right. like you're going to find it. You could buy it off the shelf at Big Five Sporting Goods or something like that as a personal protection thing. I thought the the term tear gas had evolved into that. It's, uh, but now when when we're hearing that, it connected with this, it's easier to say that. Yeah. It's easier to say that right. than to, to remember to say pepper spray or pepper balls or whatever. The other thing is the idea of the use of pepper spray, these pepper gas canisters um, along the border, is not new. No, and. The idea that this is the first time that it's ever happened is absolutely ludicrous, especially when you think of the other instances that's happened that look a lot like this. It's how you control violence in a crowd. When, without hurting without them. Without hurting anyone in a non-lethal way. Now, but you, a much more uh, safe way than uh, throwing bottles or rocks at them, which is what border agents were getting. Here's the thing. I hate the pictures. I hate the idea of little kids being subjected to that. I've been this. I've been subjected to pepper spray. I know what it feels like. I can't imagine the fear that it would induce in a child that age to believe that you weren't going to be able to live through because you've never experienced anything like that before. I get it. And it frustrates me that there's no wider discussion of these 6,000-ish people have been absolutely manipulated. 
They've been absolutely manipulated into doing this, into being where they are now, because they were told, whether it was by coyotes, whether it was by political groups, it was by some ridiculous person who had this weird machination in their head that they were going to make a point about border uh, security in the United States, that they were all used. And no one wants to acknowledge that. Nobody wants to bring that up at all. It's, It's a frustrating thing about this story. All right, coming up next, it looks like uh, a case that's surrounding the opioid crisis in this country is moving forward, and they're getting people to talk. Today, it is understood that a former opioid sales executive has admitted to participating in a nationwide conspiracy to bribe doctors to prescribe fentanyl. Uh, it is dirty. It is a dirty ring of money grabbers that unfortunately have a lot of blood on their hands. We'll talk about that when we come back. Gary and Shannon will continue. Gary and Shannon, don't look now, but uh, you had a nice day with your 401k, I assume. Stocks uh, ended sharply higher today. They rallied after the Fed Reserve Chair Jerome Powell uh, said that interest rates were just below the range of estimates of the neutral level that uh, neither slows nor speeds economic growth. So all of that, a lot of people uh, argued that maybe that was a sign that the end of these rate hike cycles could be nearer than previously indicated. The Dow was up. About two and a half percent, up 618 points higher today. Uh, the S&P 500 was up about two and a half percent. Also, the Nasdaq up almost three percent. So uh, big news. We've seen about a thousand points over the last three days increase in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. GM's major restructuring plan includes the possible closing of a plant in an uh, Ohio industrial corridor where just last year the president promised manufacturing jobs would be coming back. Trump has blasted GM, threatening to cut off their federal subsidies, while also saying that that Ohio plant is one he wants to stay open. Well, want in one hand, and, uh, you know, it's not your company, you know. Um, We have covered many times the stories of uh, opioid crisis in the United States, whether it's here in Southern California. There was a headline story just the other day of, a young couple that died in the girls' childhood bedroom after overdosing. There have been countless heartbreaking stories about families who have lost young people, old people, based on uh, these uh, opioid overdoses. And the one of the questions is what sort of responsibility, what sort of culpability the drug companies have in creating this crisis, creating this opioid crisis where people get hooked on Uh, pain medications, and then either steal other pain medications, step up their pain medications, et cetera, or will steal and turn to heroin, for example, to to get the fix that they have been become addicted to. Yeah, people didn't need an assist with getting addicted to these these pills and these drugs, but that is exactly what they got from the drug companies. There is a former opioid sales exec that today admitted to participating in a nationwide conspiracy to bribe doctors to prescribe fentanyl. 
highly addictive fentanyl spray for people who did not need it. He will be cooperating with prosecutors who are targeting his co-workers there at Insys Therapeutics. His name's Alec Berlikoff. He's 44, and he pleaded guilty in federal court in Boston of racketeering conspiracy and is likely to be a witness for the government when the billionaire founder of this drug company and other high-level executives go on trial coming up in January. They're accused of setting fire to the opioid epidemic epidemic by paying kickbacks to doctors. Doctors who are willing to write huge numbers of prescriptions for one of their powerful medications. It's meant for cancer patients with severe pain. And they were prescribing it to people who did not reach that level of, of pain management. Now, one of the things that they would do is they would uh, they would not just hand them a giant wad of cash like you would see in some sitcom or some bad television drama. They would disguise their their kickback as uh, maybe a speaking fee for an event billed as an opportunity for other doctors to learn about subsis. So they'd get like two hundred grand to talk at this event where they pimped the drug to more doctors. The prosecutor said that these executives were targeting doctors who already were prescribing large amounts of opioids. So they were already on the opioid train in terms of a doctor that's willing to prescribe this to people, even though they knew the potential drawbacks and the potential for um, for addiction. And then they would measure the return investment of their bribes by tracking the number of subsist prescriptions that the doctors were writing. So this, the, here's one example. This guy, Alec Berlikoff, the one that, uh, that has pleaded guilty, he wasn't happy that there was a doctor in Michigan who was averaging only four subsist prescriptions per week. And again, subsist is one of the brand names for fentanyl. So what Berlikoff did is he gets on a plane, he flies to Michigan, and he takes this doctor to dinner. Sure, that happens all over the place. It happens in uh, all of the TV dramas, et cetera. But he takes this doctor to dinner and tells his coworkers, hey, guys, we can expect a nice bump. And in the two months after Berlikoff took that doctor to dinner, that doctor wrote about 120 prescriptions for the spray. That's about a tenfold increase. So much for the do-no-harm oath. Good Lord. I mean, I understand that drug company executives are money hungry and can go and do some pretty uh, shady business practices, I guess. I understand that. Like, I kind of expect it from from that industry. But the doctors that know damn well how addictive this stuff is, that's where I'm truly disappointed. The doctors who, you know, you... You trust. You trust. There's actually an elevated sense of trust when your doctor tells you something or prescribes something or tells you that this is in your best interest. You know, you believe in that doctor. If they say that you need these drugs and you're probably going to believe that you need the drugs. Well, knock on wood, I haven't had anything that would require any sort of a painkiller. I haven't had surgery. I haven't had anything like that. I would be afraid to agree to an opioid prescription. Listen, I don't know what was prescribed to me, but remember when I thought my kidneys were failing and it just turned out to be back pain? Um, <laughs> the urgent care nurse prescribed me 
a bottle of pills. I don't know how many are in there, maybe 10 or 15 or something, but they were much stronger than any sort of Tylenol. It was like, take, make sure you're home when you take this. I took one. Yeah. I took one in the kitchen. I took two steps towards my bedroom and could feel my limbs getting a little loopy. And I'm like, I'm never taking this crap again. What the hell is this? Yeah. And that was for freaking back pain I had suffered once, one day, one couple of hours, right? It wasn't chronic. It was nothing big. And, yeah, you know, t- I, 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 I had the same experience 20 years ago when I had teeth pulled. I, I yeah. took a couple of pills for the pain. And then I just I remember telling my then girlfriend at the time, my now wife, I don't want these anymore. Yeah. Uh, just let me no, ride in you. pain. This is not. And it wasn't that it wasn't. I mean, it was a euphoric feeling. It was a. It was the feeling that hey, nothing can hurt me now. But it was there was also the part of me that uh, you know that didn't shut down when I was down to my li- lizard brain. The part of it said, "Hey, this is probably not a good idea yeah. for continued Same use." Thing. Yeah, let's not get uh, let's not get hooked and be on the street. Hey, you know what you else know. is back though? But speaking of uh, opioids, uh, meth is back with a vengeance. I didn't know meth went anywhere. Well, I don't know what circles you run in, but uh, in my uh, part of town, uh, meth kind of went away. Now it's back. Oh. We'll explain the whole resurgence of that when we come back. should come over more often. (laughs) To hide away from, wait, because there's more meth in your neighborhood than mine? (laughs) Uh, All right. like Nancy Pelosi will probably become Speaker of the House once again, passed a, sort of a procedural vote, nomination vote today. But there were about 30 Democrats in Congress who voted against her. And uh, if, in fact, she's going to be named Speaker when the new Congress comes in in January, she's going to need to win over some of those votes because you can assume all of the Republicans are going to vote against her, uh, at least betting on turmoil within the Democratic Party as they pick a Speaker. So. She also spoke today, and uh, she's got more work done, just in case she does become speaker again. Well, one of the problems with the opioid crisis is, while it's good that it's getting a lot of attention, people are not paying attention to meth use as much. Uh, The number of people hospitalized because of amphetamine use is skyrocketing. But that has been overshadowed by, you know, everyone dying from opioids. The amphetamine-related hospitalizations jumped from about 245% from 2008. 245%. Yeah, and when you talk to doctors about this, for example, this um, Tarak Trivedi is an emergency room doc in L.A. and Santa Clara counties, I guess, makes his way back and forth uh, up and down the state, says there's not a day goes by that I don't see someone acutely intoxicated on methamphetamine. Huge problem. 100% spilling over into the emergency room. One of the problems may be that he saw many psych patients happen to also be meth users. And some act so dangerously that they require sedation or even restraints. And he sees people who have been using the drug for a long time and dealing with with what he calls uh, the downstream consequences. I mean, right away, you, you, you shoot up your meth, you snort it, however you take it. 
you can it can cause rapid heart rate, dangerously high blood pressure, and in the long term, we've all seen those faces of meth uh, pictures. It caused dental problems, anxiety, weight loss. You'll see people as young as their 30s with congestive heart failure as if they were in their 70s from long-term meth use. This is depressing. I thought I thought that it was going to get better. Which part? Well, just after the story we did about doctors prescribing fentanyl to people who don't need it so that they could get more money for speaking fees. No. No. It's not good. Nope. California has a big problem when it comes to meth. The number of amphetamine-related overdose deaths rose by 127% from 2008. So everybody's either on opioids or meth. Is that what I'm understanding? I guess so. I mean, you think about it. We, we've talked so much about the opioid epidemic and the opioid crisis. In that same time when you said... The overdose deaths related to, to amphetamines rose by 127%. Opioid-related overdose, overdose deaths rose by 8.4%. And the opioids are the ones that are getting a lot of the attention here. Part of it is because it's a relatively new phenomenon. It seems that the opioids, uh, overdosing on opioids and, and life-altering use of opioids. But it was the 1990s was sort of the heyday for meth. Because then it was easier to produce. You could walk up uh, for kids like Blake and Nick. They don't know this, but we could go buy cold medicine. When I was in college and I had a cold, I could go to the grocery store and buy cold medicine. And now if you've got something with pseudoephedrine in it, you have to go through the, you have to go through the pharmacy to get it or have a doctor prescribe it or get it from behind the counter. I mean, it's not a because, – because pseudoephedrine was such a, an easy-to-get, easy-to-include ingredient in the production of meth. If you uh, are having a problem with meth, let me offer this tip. Advil cold and sinus is basically... I'm going to step away from whatever you're saying. I'm just saying it, it knocks out cold symptoms and you clean the whole house with one Advil cold and sinus. That's all I was going to say. It's true. And it is one of those things that you have to show your ID for, but you can get, you know, the big box. <laughs> No. <laughs> Did you take one before the segment? No, I didn't. Okay. I only take it. I in? only take my meth when I have to, when I have cold symptoms. No one on the show does meth. No, no one does meth. I don't think. I don't know what you guys do when I you don't leave do here. Okay. Don't do meth. Don't do. Don't do meth. Advil, cold, and sinus. Pants check. <laughs> Pants. 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 Damn it. Yeah. Sorry. Nick obviously needs one. Nationwide. These uh, hospitalizations from amphetamines are up because of mental health, because of cardiovascular comp- complications from drug use. And about half of the amphetamine a- hospitalizations also involve at least one other drug. Nick, can I get a story about a baby animal being born or something? Sure. Something nice. Yeah, how about that baby kangaroo story you were That's telling me about? That's not good. Baby That's kangaroo a, story. Well, yeah. it's a bad story. Yeah, share with the class. Yeah. All right, yeah, here's the story. Nick. Yeah. You're not going to like it. There was a baby kangaroo. Living in boing 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 yeah, living in rural America. Hold on, I'm gonna find it. Kangaroos don't live in America, Wisconsin. Wow, Ketchum. I have a feeling that's where the story comes in, Gary. Wow, Ketchum. Wow, Ketchum. Wisconsin. Washica. What? 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 Waukesha. Waukesha. That sounds good. Wisconsin. Anyway. Two-day search for this petting zoo kangaroo, baby kangaroo named Lulu. Oh, no, recently is... it's cold. 
Yeah, it's cold and there are cars. Oh, no. Oh, why did you have to say that? Lulu was spotted along a road. Jumping over the cars and she's no. safe? And the owner, who's 69 years old, goes out to get Lulu and, like, coax her back to the property. A no. car comes along, strikes the old man, then hits Lulu. She's a red can- was a red kangaroo. Lulu didn't make it. She's probably very red now. That was a horrible story. I told you guys that that was a terrible story, but yet you continued calls for the story of the baby kangaroo. I didn't want to have to tell it. I need an Advil cold and sinus. Get me um, get me that and a baby animal story with a good ending. Okay, I'll I'll one of those two. We'll find one. <laughs> hey, barkeep, can I get a... <laughs> Gary and Shannon will continue in just a moment. It's been one week since you looked at me. Gary Shannon, about to wrap up the show. John and Ken coming in in a few minutes. Uh, President Trump today gave an interview to the New York Post and said that he has never discussed pardoning his former campaign chair, Paul Manafort. He did say it's not off the table, but he just says he hasn't talked about it. Prosecutors, of course, yesterday accused uh, Paul Manafort of repeatedly lying to them and violating his agreement to, uh, to tell all in return for a lighter sentence. And then the CIA is denying that the director, Gina Haspel, was instructed not to attend a classified briefing with senators dealing with uh, Yemen and dealing with the killing of that Saudi journalist. A bunch of uh, lawmakers have said they wanted her there to talk about this because Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, Defense Secretary Jim Mattis were there and said that there's no smoking gun that would connect the death of Khashoggi to the Saudi crown prince, which appears to go uh, against what the CIA had been saying. But uh, And they wanted to know why Gina Haspel wasn't there. CIA says she wasn't told not to go. She just didn't go, which doesn't answer the question entirely, but... Let's, you have a happy story. You know what? First of all, let's see if I can find some happy music in the uh, happy music I library. I do here. not have a happy story. I thought you had a happy story. No, I... The story I, that Nick I gave you the... You. Check your email. I sent you the one about the giant cow. Oh. In the Gary and Shannon happy animal story, not about Lulu the baby kangaroo or about these animals that had been stuffed and turned into carnival trinkets. There is a story out of Australia, specifically Lake Preston, if you ever oh, want to go there. This is a there. happy story. It's an obesity story. Oh, my gosh. It's not obese. It's just But did giant. you read the headline? The steer is too big for the slaughterhouse. That's it's great. six feet four to the shoulder. That's not obesity. That's just massiveness. That's a big cow. I've been around a lot of cows in my day. It ain't never been like that. Nope. Tell us more, Blake. Well, how many, which one do you want me to tell you about? What is the the tallest cow you've been around? Oh, the ones I've been around? To the shoulder? I don't know. Maybe. uh, Would you say 10 hands? No one can see that. Say 10 or 11 hands, Blake? I was thinking on my own body. I don't know. Yeah, probably. Maybe in there. Mm hmm. Knickers the Steer is his name. A black and white. Cow. Holstein Friesian. Is that how you say it, Blake? Has won social media fame. I do enjoy this music, by the way. I feel like it's like Gilmore Girls music. <laughs> it's not what makes me happy, but okay. Uh, social media fame 
And many people are commenting when they see knickers. And, and what do you think they comment when they see a cow of significant size? What would you say? What would you say, Nick? What would you say if you saw a cow of significant size, you thought you were the funniest person on social media, what would you write? I would say, uh, that's a big cow. No, that's not no, what you would, what say. would say. No, remember, you're trying to be unique here. Hmm. Blake, what would you say? You saw a big cow. Like, what would Christ say? <laughs> what would Christ say? Wow, we can feed a lot of people with that. No, that's that, what that I was Christ. just thinking. Yeah. I was thinking about you how many burgers yeah. you could make. He would make. Yeah. He could turn that cow into many big they cows. Didn't. That is very unChrist-like. He was not a burger guy. I bet he would have been had there been burgers. Fish. Never mind. That what was would, one miracle. What would you that say? Mean all he ate was fish. We're talking about knickers. Yeah, he didn't just eat fish. The huge black and white scary. steer that's about he six also foot ate four. Loaves. True. Good job, Shannon. Thank you. Did he sit and eat with them, or did he just provide them with the meal? He had to eat. The he, man had to eat. He ate other meals. I, never mind. Did he prepare his own food regularly? Yeah, yeah he did. I okay, think Mary Magdalene cooked. So the funniest social media proclamation of this giant cow that is too large for the, for the uh, slaughterhouse. Yowzas. Nope. Whoa. <laughs> People would write in the words, holy cow. That's just silly. It's still it's a normal cow. I know. You know, I think you said it best a couple of seconds ago when you said we're getting off track here. Australian media have said that they believe Nickers is the largest steer in oh, the country. Nickers the cow does have an Instagram page. And weighs about 1.4 tons. Pants check. Pants. 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 Hmm. Questionable. Instead of becoming steaks and burgers, seven-year-old Nickers is going to get to live out his life in Lake Preston, southwest of Perth. They said that he's going to spend the rest of his life living on the farm. What does uh, Wait, what does do, the do male do? cows have udders? Well, there's... I am never Look. letting you live down what you just said. If that's Nickers... The Knickers is a boy. But this says Knickers is a steer. Thus boy. Correct. I don't think that's Knickers. When you get to see the cow's undercarriage like that, and it's yeah. got that well, stuff hanging I, down from it. That's what I'm wondering. Because it's Knickers the cow official you didn't. You didn't grow up in a city. Like you, there were I did not grow up with cattle. Up. I know, but... Petaluma is very different. You weren't that far away from cows. I never you got just, up close to a cow the way that y'all did. You don't have to be that close to a cow to know the difference between udders and other pieces, though. I know that, but why does this cow have udders? Probably because it's not it's the right cow. cow. Well, then why a, is it yeah, on true. its official Instagram page? Perhaps Maybe. Nickers is a fluid Does anybody ever appear okay. on your Instagram page that's not you? Oh, so other cows are just popping up on Nickers' page? I... Yes! <laughs> Uh. Anyway, no, no, no uh, hamburgers made from knickers. That's uh, just gonna be. It's gonna be the <laughs> I way. I feel it goes. so bad for John uh, when he comes in here and has, it's a free for all. Oh God! Someone's got a. You know he's used to structure. <laughs>
rational people. Rational thought. <laughs> yeah. It's just kind of like uh, like avant-garde art when I come in here. Yeah. Yeah. Very similar. Thank uh, you. I, I have no idea what it means, but it's uh, entertaining. Thank you. Write that down. That's our log line. Okay. I'll write that down right under uh, Shannon's quote of the day. Do boy cows have udders? Well, it was on his official page. Uh, Stop right. it. What's coming up on the show? That's a good one. <laughs> Uh, Alex Stone's coming on right after the news. Uh, it looks like it's going to be many, many, many months until uh, the uh, asylum seekers and the fake asylum seekers uh, get a chance at an interview. And he's going to explain uh, what's going on. Oh, there's got to. Did you see? I mean, they're in this sports arena in Tijuana, Ugh. which uh, the Times has described as smelling strongly of sewage. Mm. So I, I'd go home. I'd <laughs> It's been eight months. I mean, you make that thousand mile journey back. I, yeah. Why wouldn't they use that as part of a way of dealing with this? Of just saying it's going to take months to have all of these claims heard. But see, that's the thing is they have been saying that for for months, and uh, these people are being used. Yeah. By whoever's behind this to. Oh, more and more, I'm reading. They're complaining about the organizers. The well, organizers promised right. the moon, and uh, yeah, fell a little short. So. All right, John and Ken up next. We'll see you tomorrow. Stay dry, everybody. And so we come to the end of another fun-filled episode of... Gary and Shannon.